1: Today on the show, we have the legendary Cheryl Richardson. Now, Cheryl has been spending the last 25 years of her life dedicated to teaching the art of self-care and how to get unstuck in our lives. As Cheryl says, when we care deeply about ourselves, we begin to care for others, our family, our friends, the environment, and the whole world in a healthier and more effective way. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Cheryl Richardson. How are you doing, Cheryl?
2: I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good, my
1: dear. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about uh, the work you've been doing for a couple of years now. A couple of years you've been doing this work, <laughs> to say the I'm least.
2: Like, uh-oh. Are we in the right conversation here yet? A couple of years. A couple, of, a couple or a few decades, I think.
1: Exactly, exactly. So my first question to you is, at what point, when did you start your kind of this journey of this work and also kind of like your spiritual journey in general? hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that um, the probably the place I began my inner journey was around 12 years old when I started keeping a diary. Mm-hmm. um this was back when they had those little diaries with the you know you would close them with this little click uh, and it had a tiny little key as if nobody could ever get into it obviously and, yes and I remember of course, <laughs> you know you could just like easily break it open but that was really I think writing for me was a pathway into um contemplating life contemplating why I was here what I was doing I mean I was just thinking about that this morning. As a matter of fact, I was sitting in my office journaling and I thought, wow, I've been doing this for over 50 years now. And it is so fundamental to my spiritual journey, my personal journey. And, um, and I think, you know, also my spiritual journey began, I was raised Catholic and I went to a Catholic school for a couple of years. And um, this was back when the nuns would walk around in these long black habits. They were like floating across the floor. And I, I, was at school at this gorgeous building, this old, really old um, convent. And, uh, you know, I just really fell in love with the beauty of spirituality. That's what I would say now. I wouldn't have said that then. But there was something beautiful about the rituals and the, you know, the statues and all of that. And, you know, as I grew up and got to my late teens, I sort of moved away from the Catholic Church and kind of opened my view to other spiritual traditions. But that's really where it began. You know, it began with this um, real appreciation for the reverence of ritual and um, both writing and also just being in this beautiful setting at such a, I think, um, impressionable age. So where did you find
1: the curiosity at such a young age to kind of start asking these deeper questions? Because I remember I remember I was raised Catholic as well. And I, there were certain things about the Catholic dogma and religion that even at first grade, I was like, eh, this doesn't make any sense. Okay. Um, but I didn't go as far as you did as far as to really ask deeper questions as you were getting older. So where, if if people don't have that curiosity now, someone listening, is that something you can implant? Is that something that you can kind of find? Or is that is it innate?
2: Well, I think, um, I don't know if it's innate. I know that I've been incredibly, there's two things I've been all my life for as long as i incredibly curious and, um, and also really passionate about learning. And I think people can become curious at any age. And I think it's a really important characteristic for a number of reasons. First of all, it helps us on our own journey. It helps us to see the world through a, a very different lens, through a, a more, well, freshly, as if the world is fresh and new, being curious, I think it makes us better people to be around, you know, I love being out to dinner with people who are curious and they ask lots of questions and they they really, you know they're they're, they think about a lot of things and they think deeply about a lot of things. I mean, I'm sure you've had dinner with people who have no curiosity whatsoever. And it's no. like, you just can't eat enough food to make it. Interesting. Know, <laughs> you know, exactly. Exactly. So um, I think I was a very curious, you know, I th- I do believe Alex, my personal belief is that we come into these lifetimes as souls with um, different agendas. And I definitely think my agenda in this lifetime was to learn a lot and to grow spiritually. I've always felt that way. I mean, I maybe wouldn't have called it that in my early teens, but I was always very curious about what made me tick and what made other people tick, which is why I think I got into coaching, loved it so much and spent so much of my life working with people because I have an insatiable curiosity about what makes human beings tick.
1: Now, going, going off of that that uh, stream of thought is the ability to be honest with yourself and to look inward to yourself, which is a, <clears throat> I've, dis- I've discovered a, a skill set that not everybody has. Uh, it's probably one of the most difficult things you can do in a lifetime is to look yourself in the mirror, be honest with who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, the things you have to work on, Most of the times you hide that stuff, you put it behind ego, you make up excuses, you play the victim. There's so many things that we do to to avoid that. But from speaking to so many different spiritual masters and people like yourself who've kind of evolved themselves into where they are today, you can't grow until you actually find out who you are. And that's a scary thing. Do you have any advice for people listening on how they can even start that process?
2: Well, first of all, I would say that I think the hardest thing for people is to be in their own company, <laughs> and it's because we, many of us have developed a well, a, a very strong inner critical voice, really, you know, I don't like to call it the ego, although that's, it's the personality, right? I mean, we're, we come into this world, I believe, kind of fresh and pure and souls, and then over time, this personality gets formed based on our experiences, both you know, educational, family, parents, authority figures, all of that. We were constantly, you know, the personality is being formed in reaction to and in response to what's happening in our lives. So I often, I have felt in the last few years that um as I've been on a deeper journey myself around conscious aging, that we spend the first half of our lives, um you know, crafting this personality and if you're lucky you spend the second half dismantling it and seeing what's left behind. And really that's what you're talking about. I mean a lot of times we're not honest with ourselves because we're not conscious of things that are going on, right? There's there's a lot that's in our unconscious and I think one of the most powerful things we can do as a spiritual practice if you will is Commit to, for example, a meditation practice so that you learn to be in your own company. Because I love, you know, I'm a big fan of Michael Singer's work. And, Mm. you know, he talks a lot about how we spend our whole lives trying to get the outside world to be a certain way so that we feel okay inside. And that's really true. And, you know, as somebody who's been writing and teaching for years about goal setting and manifestation and law of attraction, all that sort of stuff. I've now come to a very different point in my life where I realize all of that were really, I, I don't want to minimize this, so I'll i will say this, and then I'll, they were fancy ways of trying to make the inside be okay. Um, or they were skillful ways or strategic ways or desperate ways to try and feel okay inside. And when I made a commitment in January of 2020 to start meditating every single day without fail and tracking it, Uh, I really I got a big education about how uncomfortable it was to be in my own skin, to be in my own company, Um, because, you know, if you've ever gone on a silent retreat, for example, and you spend several days in silence, you know, by day three, you just want to pull your hair out because the mind is just not a very welcomed roommate. And so the first six months of my meditation practice, there were times where I would just cry at how mean I was to myself or how oriented my mind was to go back in the past to the things that didn't work or the stupid things I said or did or um, whatever. And it became clear to me that my primary focus.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. And now back to the show.
2: Would be on developing a loving and compassionate and peaceful and safe relationship with myself to make my inner world a beautiful place so that I didn't have to get anything to happen in the outer world in order to be okay. And I'm, you know, of course, still very much in that process. I will be for the rest of my life. I'm really grateful to Michael Singer. A lot of times I tell people, pick up his book, The Surrender Experiment. I think oh. it's a really important book. It's a book anytime I was doing business coaching, for example, of like high level execs who were on the wheel, I would tell them, pick up that book and read that book, you know, understand what's really going on here. And um, and I'm grateful because now I feel like I'm focused on a fundamental, the fundamental reason we're here, and that is to really build a relationship with ourselves as a soul and not a personality isn't
1: do you do you believe that the majority of our problems and issues that we have in our life is the reason why we want to kind of control the outside world and having that control which is ego trying to control the environment so like you said that we feel better or like michael said that we feel better inside And the frustrations, the anger, the sadness, anything, anytime something happens in our exterior world that does not align with our expectations is when these other feelings, these emotions, these things come out. But when I start seeing, you know, when you start studying some of the spiritual masters, you know, even yogis of of this last century, you start seeing that they just don't have an attachment to the outside world in many ways, and it doesn't bother them. So if something happens, and they're like, ah, and they laugh because they do, they realize that it's kind of like an illusion and you know, then we can get deeper down that rabbit hole uh, of the illusion in Maya. But that that need to control so much, I found in my life as well, once I let go of that control just a bit and decided to be guided a bit more in my life and kind of roll with the punches a bit more, things became so much more comfortable, e- easier, relaxing, less stressful in my life. What are your thoughts?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think that there's a big space between where we are now and where someone like, for example, Paramahansa Yogananda was, or um, you know, some of the other um, masters, certainly Jesus Christ, good example um, as well. So setting that as a standard right out of the gate is going to be hard because you know, <laughs> we've got a lot of work to do. And they, Fair you know, enough part of the reason they were unattached to the outer world is because they had done the consistent spiritual work to be, um, to be connected to this greater force, this greater energy. And so um, they become beautiful uh, beacons for us, right? They become beautiful role models. The Autobiography of a Yogi is a very important book, a book that I recommend to people, have recommended for years. I read it probably 35 years ago. And or whenever, I don't even know when it first came out. However, wherever it first came out and I reread that book, I think it's important. Um, I have great compassion for human beings. This is a tough place to live. You know, this is an easy world to live in. And here we are in physical bodies. Um, It is extraordinary to me, Alex, that with the billions of people on this planet at different levels of consciousness that we actually all survive. I mean, obviously, we don't in a lot of places, but our level of consciousness is different. And truth is different, at different levels of consciousness so that my expectation of anyone in my life is, is unfair because their level of consciousness determines where they're at in their lives. And I want to be more concerned with raising my own level of consciousness so that my presence is healing and loving and contributes in some way. So. I think one of the best things people can do, I've been saying this for the last three years, and it sounds so simple, um, but setting an alarm on your phone and starting with a 10-minute meditation at any time during the day, I don't care when you do it, do it in a very comfortable place. I don't care if you're sitting up, standing up, lying down, whatever. You know, uh, David G, who's a beautiful meditation teacher, talks about feathering your nest. So I always tell people, find a comfortable place, feather your nest, and set an alarm for 10 minutes, And do not leave until that alarm goes off. And when you begin that practice, the ego, the personality, this well-crafted being that we think is really us, even though it isn't, will do everything in its power to try and get you from that seat. Oh, I left the stove on. Oh, I didn't feed the cats. Um, Oh, the window's still, like whatever it might be. Oh, my gosh, I forgot to send this email. She's going to be really mad if I don't send, whatever it is. What you need to keep saying to that mind who is not you, you need to just simply say, sweetheart, we're not going anywhere until the alarm goes off, so breathe. I often think of my mind as a frightened, anxious child. And I talk to her that way so that I don't judge her and I don't fight with her, certainly don't fight with her. It's never gonna work. Like a child with a tantrum is never gonna work. Instead, I call her sweetheart and I just say, sweetheart, you know what? we're going to leave when the alarm goes off. I'm the soul. I'm the boss. You're the child. You're the, you know, you're here to serve my greater experience. I'm not here to serve yours. So we're going to stay here till the alarm goes off. And then when it does, we can get up and do whatever you want. And by practicing just 10 minutes a day. And honestly, I would say, even if it's two minutes, start somewhere. Number one, you know, decide you'll do it every day, track it, I think it's important, like put a little notebook next to your bed. And every night before you go to bed, just mark an M with a check mark so that you track your meditation. If you eventually start meditating more than once, which I did, I started meditating twice a day, three times a day, 10 minutes here and there. Um, you can track that too. If you extend your meditations, you can track, you know, you can just put M 15 minutes check mark, Um that will begin this relationship between you, the personality, and you, the soul. You know, those, those two voices exist within us. We think we're our mind. And as long as we keep catering to the mind, which is based on history and is developed, you know, is the voice of the personality, if we keep listening to that voice we will always, and this is really important, Alex, we will always have to get the outside world to be a certain way so that we feel okay. And I promise you, there is a way in which you will, be, you will get to the point where you will be okay regardless of what happens. And I wanna tell you a little story because this ties right in with your question. So about six or eight months ago, my kitchen faucet, Uh, One of the handles, the hot water handle broke. And I live in this house. We built this house 16 years ago. And it's a special kind of faucet setup. And it's 16 years old. So I went online to find it. And I found out that the company had um, closed, you know, had shut down. So I couldn't find the handle. Now, you know, faucets and handles and the spray thing, they're very expensive. And they're also very distinct in terms of how they look. So I did a little research online and I found a company that said they still carried this particular product and I emailed them and I started to get nervous. Like, Oh my God, what if I can't find this? What right. if I have to replace the whole thing? Now yeah. I've got to, this is where the mind goes. Now I've got to break up all the stone, oh you know, the stone kitchen. Um, I'm never going to find anything that's going to fit our decor. We live in an old world styled home. I mean, the mind went crazy. And then I emailed them. And when I didn't hear back in like three hours, my mind went, there's nobody there. They probably don't have it. Maybe they've closed. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. And in that moment, I felt my meditation practice intersect with my daily life. And I went, sweetheart, we don't do this anymore. You've sent the email. Let life handle this. Go about your business. And I went off and did something else couple hours later, I thought, oh, I still haven't gotten an email. And the mind kicks in again, you know, maybe I should do more research. No, no, no. Come back. Come back. It's going to be okay. And the next morning, the next morning, I get an email from this company saying, we found the part you're looking for. We've put it in the mail. You should get it in two days. And I wrote them back and I said, but nobody has sent me an invoice. I haven't. Oh, no, no, no. They said, we're sending it to you for free. Like, who does that?
1: Why did they say I, why?
2: No, I have no idea. I wrote back to them and I said, "Why would you do that?" Oh, because that's what we do. Now that's like that's bizarre. I don't get it either. I mean, I'm sure this part isn't really expensive, but you know, still. Well, I
1: mean, they're gonna they're gonna also go out of business if they keep doing. <laughs> I know. I know.
2: But it was such a lesson for me, and then I started to really pay attention. And anytime I I felt filled with angst or. I started to get frustrated or I started and watched myself trying to control things. I would just go, whoa, 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 sweetheart, come back, come back to this moment. Life will handle this. You're okay. You're okay. I say that a lot. Louise Hay used to say that to me all the time, sweetheart, tell yourself you're okay. You're okay. And things get handled. And so what you asked in the very beginning was, you know, what do you do when you're really, when you're really concerned about something and you you need something to happen in order to feel okay, I would tell you that the practice of coming back to the present moment allows life to handle things far more easily than your ego ever will. But you gotta practice in order to have the experience. And I've had some miraculous examples of that happen in my life, so.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
1: And now back to the show it's 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 really fascinating because I agree with you I've, I started my meditation practice around six seven years ago at this point and I've done anywhere between an hour to three hours a day uh consistently over the course of that life over the course of those years and boy I can tell you you're absolutely right it is a muscle that needs to be trained
2: right.
1: and the ego still you know the mind still pops up the ego still pops up it's we will for the rest of our lives while we're in the, while we're in this reality this is part of the rule set uh, unless you're Yogananda or unless you're Jesus. And even then I'm sure they still had it. They just dealt with it in a very different way than you and I do. Yeah. But w- those things, you know, have a, I have a situation right now in my life where I want something to happen. N- text day one, no one's texting me back. Day two, no one's texting me back. I send another text. I'm like, dude, you know, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, ha 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 ha. And I'm like, that's not what I want. I want, give me an answer. And and I'm like, oh, okay, I got to let go of this. So just let it go, be in the present moment. And it's so true though. But with before all oh, that, God, I, before my meditation practice, I would have so, like you, you were basically destroying the entire house for this one part, right. essentially,
2: in your exactly. mind. The whole house was going to, yes, exactly. I was going to have to replace the kitchen because of this one stupid faucet. Right. But I'm curious, Alex, I'm curious. So that's a very committed meditation practice mm-hmm. but for you. Like not a lot of people do that. And I wonder if you've noticed how like your life becomes a meditation after a while, right? Because you can really see the difference between that, that the ego that goes, okay, I'm sending another text, what's going on here and the centered place. Like, have you really, have you noticed that in your daily life? That-
1: oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, for me, I, I, I take things a little bit differently now. So when the situation presents itself into my life, I look at it, I go, okay, it's here. Why is it here? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm if I'm confronted with a person who's having who's not a nice person, uh in in, in the scope of what we're our relationship at that moment, I go, what is happening? And I, I become more empathetic to the person. I go, they're they're dealing with something. I don't know what they're dealing with. And you know, if someone cuts me off and flicks me off. I usually smile at them, which also upsets them more. But I, 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 I'm like, oh, there have there's something going on there. I don't know what it is. It could be ego. It could be a bad day. But I, I look at things a little, a little bit more aerial view of life as opposed to when we're in it. It's kind of like you're in the in the in the mosh. You can't see the, the the forest through the trees kind of thing. And I've been able to kind of almost get into a helicopter or a or a drone and go above it a little bit more not completely but a little bit more to the point where I don't get I don't react as quickly and I it, it's slower without question but life in general has become much more meditative I have children so that that's also very taxing
2: uh <laughs> Do you teach them to meditate
1: not yet not yet they they know that daddy meditates a lot and mm. I think when mommy starts to meditate she wants to but she can't she can't get through that first block, but we will get there. Um, but like this morning, I did 90 minutes and I'll probably do another 90 minutes before the day is over. Uh, you know, I, I schedule it within my my day to be able to do it. And it's, for me, it's mind blowing. Uh, it's blissful. It's um, I, I Answers get, uh, things come into, into my meditations, answers to questions. Um, people sometimes show up in my head and they call later on. These, these very interesting things happen, but without question, my life has become much calmer. I used to be, oh, oh, I was a road rage guy when I was a kid. Oh, really? Uh, oh yeah, I was like, ah, I was so angry. I was an angry kid. I was an angry kid and became very angry in, in, even in my young adulthood because of that, because of just frustrations about life and my career is not going where I wanted to go and this and that, and and it's all about control and the moment i let go yeah. everything opened up and that's the big lesson i try to teach talk to people and teach people about it especially on the show is if you let go and trust that's the big thing you have to have faith that when you walk off the cliff that there's there's going to be a step there like mm-hmm. indiana jones in the last crusade he walked off the cliff and he couldn't see anything but when he stepped there was something to hold him there so it's mm-hmm. once you're able to do that and you do it once, it's kind of like the meditation part. You do it once, oh, it worked out. Do it again, do it. And then to a point where you just go, that's just the way it is. And these are new rule sets to your existence. And yeah. having the concept of life happens for you, not to you, it's another idea. It's a very powerful idea that I've found It's helped me out tremendously.
2: Yeah, it is. And um, I was thinking, you know, one of the real benefits, the gifts of the pandemic as challenging as it was, yeah, the amount of people that got into therapy, Mm-hmm. Like every time I hear, um, an advertisement for, I think it's BetterHelp.com. you know, mm-hmm. like the, the online, um, yeah. therapy website, I smile. Cause I think, you know, I've, I've been, I started in therapy when I was 19. So that was a long time ago. It was more than, you know, a long time ago, how many, 30, 40 years ago, 40 years ago. So it was pretty unconventional at the time. And, um, and I've sent so many people to therapy over the years you know in audiences I'm speaking with or when I'm coaching or whatever and now to see that people are given an opportunity to figure out how to process difficult emotions to look at oh what's this anger sitting on top of right what's going on underneath that hasn't been dealt with yet maybe or because if we go back to the spiritual perspective you know yogananda that the Hindu tradition Michael Singer talks about this too that there are scars that we we um, store all of so many of the experiences we have in life within us. They don't pass through us as if we are the sky and it's just a weather pattern passing through. We hang on to things and we hang on to a lot of things so that that's why we get triggered. Somebody says something, your buttons get pushed. It reminds you of what your mother said to you when you were 18 and you're off and running. So It's hard, though, to invite people to let some of that stuff come up to be released when you don't have support. And it's really great to see that there is an increase in people being there for other people in the form of therapy, in the form of coaching, in the form of more conscious friendships, where you can, in a safe way, begin to process some of the stuff, because that's part of what makes meditation hard for people. First of all, if you're a Type A personality, you're used to running on adrenaline, and to just sit the body down, and get quiet wow. feels like yeah. And, and remind me, we'll t- I'll talk about a couple things you can do to um to deal with that. Um, so just sitting down can be difficult, but then when you sit down and all kinds of old pain comes up, then it's even more difficult. Yeah, and what do you right. do with that? You know, right. how do you process that? And so. As human beings, we need each other. I love, you know, there's a beautiful documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen the Stutz documentary. No, I haven't seen seen it. Oh, write this this down. What's it called? Yeah, it's called Stutz. S-T-U-T-Z. I'm pretty sure. I'll look it up. So it's a documentary that Jonah Hill did about his therapist. And really, I will say, I've recommended it to a lot of people. It is a love story between two men that is so beautiful. But also Stutz, Phil Stutz in this documentary um, talks about something that I was so glad to hear him talk about, which is that the universe runs on needs, not independence. You know, we need each other. We need to support one another. We need to be there for one another. And the more you meditate, the more you learn to allow painful and uncomfortable feelings to rise and release, the more you get the support you need, the more you can really be you know, one of those support people be a support person for other people as well. And so there's so many things like even the Stutz documentary on Netflix. I thought, you know, five years ago, you'd never see something like this. And today people love it. And he's, you know, you can find podcasts with him all over the place. And um, we're waking up as challenging as life has been, as difficult as our political system is and world events looks like, you know, we're just, you know, kindergarteners trying to get through life. The truth is we're waking up and it doesn't take everybody for the planet to shift. It takes a handful of conscious awake people who are committed to, um, living as soul, souls and not egos. So, um, how to meditate when your mind goes crazy and you don't want to do
0: it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: So the first thing I'd like to tell people is, um, I always remember this, the minute you close your eyes, your brain begins making alpha waves that slows the body down. So your brain has like four different brainwave patterns. Beta is the, the brain waves you know, of action and strategy and goal setting and working beta waves. Uh, my brain's making plenty of them right now. And then alpha waves is a slower brainwave pattern. It's the pattern that we get into um, as we start to fall asleep. That's why you close your eyes. It tri- it signals to the brain, up oh, rest. The brain starts to slow down, brain waves. When you get into a deeper meditation, the brain begins making theta brain waves, which is the brain waves of creativity, that really kind of hypnagogic state of, you know, in between. Um, you know, kind of like pretty much asleep, but still conscious. And then ultimately Delta waves, which runs, you know, a lot of the involuntary systems of the body. So we can generate alpha waves just by closing our eyes. So anybody can just practice. If you just close your eyes, you'll notice if you keep them closed, you shut off visual stimuli that you'll start to calm down. And then if you breathe through your nose not through your mouth, but through your nose. And you extend the exhale. Sometimes I play a little game with myself when my mind's really busy and I can't get relaxed. I will see how long I can extend my exhale. By extending the exhale, we trigger the body's parasympathetic nervous system and it automatically calms the nervous system down, whether you want it to or not. I mean, it just will do that. So breathing slowly in through the nose, and then even more slowly out through the nose, just that alone will start to calm the mind, calm the body. You know, the mind and body are intricately woven together. So to say to somebody who is running on adrenaline to, oh, you need to just sit down and meditate is really unfair because their body is so amped up that it's, it's like a recipe for disaster. So we have to use little triggers like closing eyes, breathing through the nose, noticing senses. So closing your eyes, breathing through your nose and then noticing, what do I hear? What do I hear around me? I just heard a truck drive down the road. You know, um, I, you know I might hear a bird call or my cat playing with some toy in the hot, ha- whatever. What am I hearing? What am I feeling? What's my body on? And what does what am I feeling in my body? What do I smell? Did I just finish? I made some um, turkey bacon earlier, and I can still smell the scent of turkey bacon in the air. What do I smell like? What engaging your senses causes you to come back to the present moment, and you can just continue to do that. What do I hear? What do I feel? What do I taste? What do I smell? That will bring you back to the present moment. These are some of the things you can do, especially in the beginning when you're learning to meditate. And as I'm sure you know, once you practice meditation enough, when you get to your nest and you sit down and you close your eyes and you start breathing through your nose, a lot of times the body goes, "Oh, okay, It's time, it's like a child. okay, It's time to rest. And it gets easier and easier to get into a deeper state, mm-hmm. unless you're aggravated by life, which you know we're constantly aggravating ourselves with our thoughts all the time. So, you know, we need to then sometimes just speak lovingly to ourselves when we're in that state and not wanting to sit there quietly. So that's some things you can do.
1: And I've also found that there was uh, some some research done that David discovered there's another, uh, another uh, below delta, there's gamma, I think it is, if I'm oh, not yeah. mistaken. Yes. By, because they did some Tibetan monks who've been meditating for 30 years, and he's like, oh, I can go deeper. And yes. they found that there was even a deeper state that you can go into which is fascinating and i have to agree with you that i feel that people are awakening more and more every day i can see it by the numbers of this show people Mm -hmm. how people are being drawn to a show like this the conversations that we're having on this show were unheard of 10 -hmm. years ago
2: yeah
1: unheard of to talk about reincarnation publicly Mm -hmm. to talk about meditation meditation publicly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the benefits it's 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 really fascinating to see how everything's happening. But I, I think that I think the pandemic, as difficult as it was, it did stir something up in people where they they got that moment to to stop. Mm-hmm. Life, the world stopped for a good two or three months, it stopped. I'd never seen anything like that. Like, you know, then- there's dolphins in Venice, Italy.
2: <laughs> I, know. I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And what was great, I mean, for a lot of people, it was really unsettling, right? It was like they were thrown into a retreat and they didn't ask for it. It's like, oh my God, no, no, no. Being with myself here, no, no, thank you. I'd like to go back to work. And then we came out a little bit, but then we went back in. Mm And I remember thinking, I hope that this time of staying in is long enough to give people a really good taste of The objectivity between where I am in my life right now and where I've been, you know, out in the world running a million miles an hour. And it really did that. It's why we saw we've seen labor changes. It's why we saw people retire that. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I've spoken to just even in my community who've said restaurants that used to be open, you know, eight in the morning till eight at night. Opening from eight to two because they discovered they could make the same amount of money from eight to two and have a life beyond two o'clock. Um, it really put people in touch with what really matters, and of course, it really was challenging for a lot of people who had to try and deal with kids, figure out a way to earn a living, you know, all of that. Do on you know online schooling. I prayed for parents every day because it was oh, clearly really. Brutal. Oh, I bet brutal is the word. Brutal,
1: it was brutal. <laughs> I felt so bad for my kids because they had to do something that they were all thrown into. They were all thrown into this insane, insane scenario that we all were just trying to survive. I mean, I was wiping down Amazon boxes with with Clorox wipes. I mean,
2: it was yeah. insane.
1: Yeah. It, it my was husband an and
2: insane. I would, you know, would go to the grocery store and we'd be like, okay. It would be like a relay. We would go in the front door, and we would know how to get everything within fifteen minutes. You know, masks on, gloves. Remember, gloves early oh, on.
1: Oh, yeah. Glass
2: on, and he would say to me because my husband's this big protector. He has. We we ha- have to have had some past life together where he didn't protect me because in this life he's like obsessed with protecting protecting me. And he would say, "Okay, fifteen minutes. You take the first, you know, few aisles. I'll take the last. We'll meet in the middle and get out of here." And
1: oh, he kind I. My wife did not see a supermarket for six months. I did all the shop. I was like, nope, I'm the only one out. And I had a gas mask on. I had the gloves on. I walk in. And normally people would go, you look insane. But most people go, where'd you get that mask? (laughs) People like, where'd you get that mat? I'm like, Amazon, I'm like, really? Is it available? We really, because it was an insane time. It was an insane time I to say the least.
2: No, we were so scared, you know, and.
1: Well, the media didn't help either. I mean, with those numbers popping every, like, oh, five, ten, ten thousand 10, 10,000 dead today. Five, th- like you were just like.
2: I know, it was crazy. It was. It's, crazy. And I had a family member, one of my family members, you know, was in ICU for three weeks and came very close to dying. So it was very, the the threat of, particularly of, You know, Delta variant was really, really scary. So, um,
1: but it made it look. It made us stronger. If we survived, it made us stronger. And it's definitely shifted the planet without question. Now, I wanted to ask you because a lot of people have issues with this. I think every every human being has issues with this. Other people, toxic people, um, people that come into your life for for some reason. I've come to realize that every human being that walks your path at one point or another is there for a reason to teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm. Good or bad, give you an opportunity to be kind, opportunity to be patient. Then you have children and that's a daily situation <laughs> of patience. Um but but and it's hard for people to hear that sometimes to like and if you want to even go even deeper into the spiritual ideas of things that we chose this. We chose these ideas. We chose these struggles to go through to kind of uh, help us evolve a bit. But when these toxic people come into our lives, what do you, any advice do you have on dealing with these kind of toxic people? Some of these toxic people come in and out, they might be a coworker, might be a a toxic friend, but some of them you might be married to, uh, might be your your spouse, those, your either sibling or family member, becomes a little bit more difficult to detach from that. What advice do you have for, on dealing with that in life?
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: Um, first of all, I think people and experiences come into our life. We can see it as opportunities for growth if we approach it from that perspective, right? Right. So um this is where my my perspective has changed a lot, Alex over the last five years in particular um, first of all, there are there toxic people? Yes, I think toxic is a strong word and I would say for example, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist that that's a good example of somebody who can be very, very toxic to the system. I like to think of people as wounded. you know there are right. wounded people in our lives that um, that, for whom the relationship might be challenging at some point and their response to it isn't in our best interest. And um once again I'm going to go back to the more we practice being centered within ourselves the the less hooked we are by situations like that. But that's a big ask. It takes like you said earlier it's a muscle that you build over time. You've got to really build it over time. I've spent a lot of my career giving people permission to tell the truth in their relationships with grace and love and to walk away from those relationships that they've either outgrown or that are hurting them in some way. You know, a good example of that is I can't tell you how many times back when I had a radio show, people would call and talk about their toxic boss who would humiliate them in front of employees. Now, I know that when you've, when you do work and you raise your self-esteem or your sense of self-worth to a certain point, you would not be able to tolerate that behavior. You would just immediately leave your job. But if you're not leaving your job, I just know you're not there yet. So there's some help that you need to, you know, uh, first of all, I would often recommend getting some support, getting, you know, professional support, maybe some therapy to look at. Okay. Cause oftentimes these are patterns They've had other people in their lives in the past who were shaming or humiliating. And how come? Like, where did that begin? Every relationship is an invitation for us to heal by looking at what gets, you know, what gets triggered in us. So um, rather than just say to someone like that, well, you need to leave your job. Nobody has the right to humiliate you in front of other people. That would be like you put, you know asking them to play Beethoven when they can't play chopsticks yet, right? I would say to them, let's get a piano teacher. Let's get a therapist or a coach or somebody who can help you begin to look at you know, what you can do to raise your self-esteem, raise your self-worth over time so that you no longer will tolerate behavior like that. Um, I might you know, coach them to have a conversation with the boss. Often they can't because the boss wouldn't get away with that behavior if they were strong enough to stand up to the boss, but sometimes they are. And I would recommend that they privately have a conversation where they let their boss know that, you know, it's not okay to speak to me that way. And in particular in front of other people. And I'd like to ask you the next time you have a problem with something I've done to call me into your office and speak about it just like that charge neutral, you know, but somebody who's been tolerating that behavior, that's going to feel like a pretty scary conversation to them. So we first want to get them support. Um, If you've got people that are constantly draining your energy, um, I use this example, I've used this for years because people always go, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's say you have a friend, like you might have someone in your life, Alex, who has been complaining about the same damn problem. (laughs) My my husband, my wife, my my kids. My my career, yeah. My career, exactly. Like, you know, for years I would complain to my husband, you know, I do everything around here. You know, I'm always, I'm the one doing the dishes and blah, 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 blah. And he would say to me, give me a list and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yeah. Well, why do I have to make a list? Right. Yeah. That's, that's awesome.
1: a very, by the way, that's a very male uh, answer. And I understand it because that's exactly what I say.
2: <laughs> well, and when I finally got my act together and gave him a list, I discovered, oh, what do you know? He actually does what's on the list. He, that's we're different creatures. Cheryl, you are. very you different
1: are. different creatures, men and women, and I've discovered that in my life.
2: Yeah, you know who schooled me on that was Joni Borsenko, who I love. She's a beautiful teacher, writer of many, many books, and she was the one. She's a brain scientist, and she said to me, "Let me explain to you the male brain versus the female brain," and then I got it. And I do. I've left him lists, and he always gets everything. I mean, it's amazing, right? That's what he we needs do. To <laughs> but let's say you have a friend that's always complaining about her job or her husband or his wife or whatever. And you know, this is the kind of friend where when they call you either let it go to voicemail or if you've got some space you answer it but you make sure you put your headset in so you can do other things while they're talking because you know they're going to go on and on and on, right? That's a draining friend. That's, you know, it's not good for the body and and I often use this really gross um, example of if you were to imagine, you know how when you drive by a church um, and or any place where they're doing fundraising and they've got a giant thermometer with a red line and it shows how much money they've raised? Well, you imagine that when you answer the phone from that friend, you're like that, that thermometer with like no red line. And all of a sudden they start puking all their anxiety. And I use that word intentionally, puking all of their anxiety into you about the spouse or the job or whatever. And they're going on and on and on. And what's happening? They're emptying their giant thermometer and your red lines growing, right? You've got all this anxiety pouring into you. Well, two things. I mean, then you get off the phone and you're exhausted, right? Oh my God. Why did I pick up the phone? This person makes me crazy. Well, there's a few things. First of all, it's not good for your body to be subjecting yourself to that kind of anxiety. It's really not good for your body. It's not good for your friend because now what you've done is you have relieved her of the anxiety she needs to eventually force her to do something about the situation. So the real response is to... Not during that scenario, but at another time to say to the friend, we'll call her Mary. Mary, listen, you know what? I really love you. We've been friends for a long time. And in an effort to be really honest with you and to honor our relationship, I need to tell you, when you call me to complain about your husband, I end up feeling drained afterwards. And I realized I'm not helping you at all. And I'm not helping myself. So I want to support you in doing something about this situation. If, you, if you're ready to do something, I'm behind you 150%. If you're not, it would be better for you to not call me, better to call someone else. But when you are ready, I will be your wing person 100% and will get you the support you need to address the issue. And then you say, this last thing is really important. And by the way, Mary, you'll probably forget we had this conversation. So when it happens again, I'll be sure to remind you. (laughs) And that's just an example of, you know, you could use that in any different scenario for friends, the the negative friend, the draining friend. And then if there are people who are truly toxic, that you are intertwined with in some way, like a spouse, you must um, get into therapy before addressing that. I would never, I'm not a therapist, I'm a coach. I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I've been in in and out of therapy all my life. I'm a big believer in it. I would absolutely get you into really good therapy with somebody who specifically has dealt with situations like this, the kind of toxic relationship you have with your spouse so that you can come up with a plan to exit that relationship or to stand up to that person. And, um, Uh, I would not recommend somebody attempt to do that on their own because toxic people are really can be very dangerous. So Mm -hmm. um, and eventually what I want for everybody is to just think highly enough of themselves that they are not going to put themselves in situations with wounded people that are going to just wound them in return. You know, does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect sense. There's perfect sense. That's a great answer and hope that helps people listening. Um, Now there's what you wrote a whole book on this next question, which is midlife changes and, and how did to, to kind of change lanes, if you will, midlife way. And a lot of the people who listen to this, uh, to this show is leaning towards midlife. Uh, You know, I don't have a lot of 13 year olds listening to the show yet. They're not <laughs> awakened yet. Uh <laughs> So, so, and and myself being, you know, close, hopefully close to midlife, I like to hope think I'm going to live a long time healthily, but close to midlife myself, I've seen the change in my own life where my entire career life or life career was one way. And then all of a sudden, a handful of years ago, I jumped on a microphone and this thing called podcasting took over my life. And now this is what I do for a living, which was a shock to the system. And it took a while to to make those changes. What advice do you have for people who have been doing something for the same way for 20 or 30 years? And they're like, I, I really never wanted to be a lawyer. I really just wanted to write, or I wanted to be an artist, or I wanted to be a, a chef. or And they're afraid to take that next step to change those lanes because of external problems, because of fears, things like that. What do you have? What suggestions do you have uh, or advice for that?
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: Well, yes. So the end of last year, I published an audio book called self care for the wisdom years. And it addresses the whole conversation about how do we take care of ourselves differently and approach life differently as we get into the later, latter stages of our life. Um, the fact that I published it as an audiobook was an example of how something had shifted for me. I'm a writer at heart, I love writing. Um, I actually went into a studio with my producer and, and an outline, I knew what I wanted to tell people and I crafted this audio journey um, extemporaneously based on the outline over multiple days, as a way of coaching people through this process of conscious aging. And remember I said in the very beginning when we were first talking that we spend the first half of our lives, you know, creating this, crafting this personality in reaction to the world. And then hopefully if we embrace aging, we begin to dismantle that personality so that we can really discover what's left behind. I talk about um, making the shift from an ego-directed life to a soul-directed life. And that was the journey I began probably five years ago. You know, I had a very big career. I was traveling all over the world. I was speaking to thousands of people, writing best-selling books on television all the time. I mean, you know, I had the kind of life a lot of people would dream of. I mean, a lot of people would write to me and say, how do I do what you do? I want to do what you do. And one day I tell this story in the beginning of the book. I was sitting with a friend of mine who was a veterinarian. His name was Mark. And he had owned, he had been a vet for, I think, 30 years. And I said to him, you know, Mark, I'm really nervous. This is probably five-ish years ago. I said, I'm really nervous. He said, why? I said, I am getting really bored with what I'm doing. I said, you know, I, know, I, I love writing. I will always write. Um, but traveling all the time, living in airplanes and cars, I missed my husband, my home. Um, I just said to him, I've kind of, I, 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 I feel like something's changing and I, I can feel the rumblings of discomfort. Like, let's look at what that is. It could be boredom, it could be frustration, it could be dead ends, like doors are closing and you can't, you know, like there's a lot of different signals we get that there's a transition coming. And I said to him, I feel like something's changing, but it makes me really nervous because, you know, my whole identity, Alex, my whole identity was built on this author, coach, speaker. Mm-hmm. And Mark said something ridiculously simple and incredibly profound to me at that moment. He said, Well, of course you're bored, sweetheart. When you do something for 20 or 25 years and you've mastered it, it's time to move on and do something else. And now, as somebody who is passionate about learning, it just made sense to me. I thought, "Oh my God, he's right! I know how to do this career. I know how to, you know, do tell like I, you know, I've done plenty of interviews and television. And, you know, all this. St- I, I've got that down. But what's next? And of course, the answer was a big blank canvas. I have no idea. And I'm grateful that you know my dad taught me to take good care of my money early on, so I took good care of my money and. Built up, you know, a good savings so that I, I could absolutely begin to kind of dismantle a bit of what I was doing. It was tricky for me because as a professional speaker, I had my calendar was booked a year in advance. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with that. That was tricky. Um, but I began to consciously make the decision that I was going to let my soul lead and what that means alex is the ego is a very very strong force in our lives and it loves shiny things right you know um all of a sudden i would decide okay i'm not going to i'm not going to travel 90% less and then somebody would write to me and ask me to come and do a keynote at a conference and i'd think oh Ooh. it's a big conference oh it's a keynote oh it's a lot of money and 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 you know and i'd be like about to go yes and then i'd go whoa 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 hold on The ego wants to jump in and say yes to things right away, but the soul went, take a breath, sweetheart, hold on. And I would step back. And then in my mind, I would play it out. Okay, you just said yes. Now you put it in your calendar. Now imagine yourself packing your suitcase, getting in the car, going to the airport. You know, I started to play it out. And by the time I got to the airport, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) And I would gracefully decline. Um, It requires a lot of, knows to the things the ego really wants to do and that's not easy it's just not easy and I will tell you today though my life feels so rich and so um just so satisfying and it's not very sexy (laughs) you know I'm not like okay yeah it's like I'm I love my mornings to myself. I love times with my cats. I love watching great TV series with my husband. I love traveling for fun instead of work. You know, I do a lot of, I made a decision um, a couple of years ago that I would no longer work for money, that if I was going to do coaching or I was going to do any kind of anything, I would do it as a gift to the world. And um, because I spent my whole life, I grew up poor and I spent my whole life frightened and trying to amass enough money to feel safe. And I just decided, you know what, I'm taking that out of the equation. And so I still do coaching and I write a blog every week. And I published a couple of audiobooks last year um, because I wanted to do it differently. It was interesting for me to go into studio and be creative and to imagine that I was just talking to you, Alex, about making that shift from an ego directed life to a soul directed life and we would spend 4 days together or mm-hmm. not 4 days but you know 6 hours together mm-hmm. because it was a different way of creating and i wanted to do that and who knows what will be next
1: you know it's it's as you're saying all of that i'm just thinking in my head of my journey what i had to go through and uh, you know being in the film industry for so long and directing and being in post production and things like that where i would get calls to like Hey, do you want to do this movie? And it'd be a very big check. Yes. And then I would say, I'm retired, which I love saying it out loud. I retired from that life. Yeah. As a young man, I'm like, I retired. I retired from that. I shut down my company. I retired. Here's yeah. another person you can, and I would send it off to colleagues of mine. And to, to come to that conclusion took a long time because you... You are raised with this, especially, I think you come probably from the same school as I to the poor people mentality of kind of like, I got to hustle, I got to hustle, I got to hustle, I got to grab, I got to grab. If I don't get the if I don't take that job, it's not going to be there next week or next month or next year. I got to take it. So that mentality is that hustle mentality, which I built a tie brand around that. Yes. Um, I've started to realize that you you have to kind of pull back a bit and not work like that and work a little bit differently with different intention because a lot of that is based in fear of lack and if you don't have that fear of lack then things start to change so and i agree with you like at a certain point you just you've done something for 20 years 30 years and you're just like do this in my sleep i'm bored
2: you know do you remember in the beginning when you decided you were going to retire from all the film work like I'm sure that there were times like when you were first making the transition where you said yes to something and then you did it and you were like, oh, why did I say yes to this?
1: So I think before I made the decision to retire, I had that moment. Yes. I had. I took a job. It was the last big job I took. And I remember the pains and the headaches. And it was just such a thing. I think that was the job that caused me to say, I think I'm done with this now. Because I looked at my podcasting and online business world. I was like, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. You know, yeah, it's a good chunk of money, but my happiness is a little bit more important now. That's a really big change in a mentality, as you start thinking about yourself, your own mental health, your own self-care. Um, I still have problems vacationing. I still have problems just sitting down on a in a weekday to watch a movie that's not based on an interview. Because I want or watch a show or something or take three or four hours away of my day where I don't have anything booked to go do I'm sitting there I'm like I could be doing something I could be building a website I could be doing this I could be writing a blog your mind it's a it's a program that you've been running for 30 years really really difficult to break through that that's the other thing that meditation helped because meditation is that self care and. It's scheduled into my, into my work day now that it's part of my work. I look at it as part of my job, that like you have to meditate. and But that was a form of pulling back little by little, if that makes sense. We'll be right back
0: after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think that's been the hardest transition for me is that voice in my, you know, I grew up with a father who was like, you know, work hard, you never work hard. You never sit, you never rest. It's like, what are you doing sitting there? Get up and do something. right? My
1: grandfather was the same way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's been the hardest transition for me is to say, no, 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 sweetheart, you actually can go in the living room and make yourself a cup of tea and watch an episode of Madam Secretary in the middle of the day. It's totally fine. You know? Um, you know, one of the other things I started doing um, that really, and you've probably heard about this, but it has really been life-changing for me, is um, I started three years ago cold plunging in the ocean oh. near our oh, home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Northeast. This year, I bought myself a tank, but oh, yeah. it, I bought myself a cow trough, right? <laughs> I went to Tractor Supply. I paid 170 bucks. I got myself a cow, tr- cow trough filled it with water, filled it with cold water. It's, you know, I'm in the Northeast. It's pretty cold here. Bought a grill cover so I could cover it. And um, I go out almost every day. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm in there for now between two and four minutes cause it's, it's, that's,
1: that's enough. That's it's enough.
2: Really enough. But it taught me early on when I started doing it in the ocean, the first two years it was in the ocean. Um, and I live in the Northeast where I would never swim in the water here in the summer because it was too cold. And now in May, I'm swimming for 30 minutes. Like it's nothing, but it taught me that I can do hard things and override the programming of the mind, which is what we're talking about. Every time I get in my cold tank, when my mind goes, okay, wait a minute, what's the temperature outside? I when it's like, no, nope. You're either in or you're out.
1: I'll tell you, you what. I, so I, you don't even have to get a cold tank, just a cold shower.
2: Yeah, I can't do that. See, it, cold showers. I've been doing
1: cold showers for a long time. And it was. It
2: was hard for me. Those are really, you know, those.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's I, I trust me. In the winter, it's tough. In the summer, a lot easier. In the winter, it's tough to do cold True. showers. True. And, but it's kind of like knives hitting you, you know, yes. but. Yeah. What I do is I I sit in front of the I do a good couple minutes of shot of cold therapy in the shower and then I warm it up to like lukewarm. I never take hot showers anymore. I, I take warm yeah. like, like lukewarm or just above like below lukewarm. Um, but I start off with freezing because when you turn it on, the water's ice cold, and that's when I just get underneath it and I just like. But then I started doing breathing techniques, breath work, yep. to yep. to go through it all. And I ha- I'm having a, I booked Win Hoff on. Uh, to come on, Wim Hoff to come on. Who, yes. Yeah, so I'm I'm dying to talk to Wim about his uh, his whole strategy of what he's done with cold therapy. But then I've been yeah. studying. I've, been, I've been, I have a biohacker coming on the show soon too. That cold therapy, what it does for longevity, with uh hot therapy, with this sauna work, and you're doing the two it the longevity aspects, what it releases, the hormones, the endorphins that get released. You're doing, you're doing God's work when you go into that plunge and that, in that cold plunge, I'm telling you. Yeah.
2: yeah. The cold is for me. So, so let's just say that. So when I go <laughs> into the cold tank, um, you know, like I said, my mind wants to go to, Oh, how cold is it out? It's like, no, sweetheart, we're going in the tank. You don't get to, I'm in charge here. And I go into the tank and I get in and I breathe. And it's amazing because I've been doing it a long time now that um I breathe through my nose slowly and for the first 10 or 20 seconds it's like cuz the water's in the 30s but then all of a sudden I can feel all the blood rush to the internal organs cuz that's what it does um I keep my toes and my hands out because it's too cold for them and then I just breathe and I can I swear I can feel the dopamine being released in my brain because oh, I'm yeah. super hyper focused oh yeah I hear birds' wings flapping over. I mean, it's like a it's like a spiritual experience for me. And, um, but the reason I bring it up in this in terms of this conversation about aging, conscious aging, Joseph Campbell said something so wise. He said, you know, people always talk about looking for more meaning in their life, but he said, I think what people really want is more aliveness. And the cold water plunging for me. This was before I knew about Wim. Then I knew Wim. I took a workshop with him online. Um, the, the cold water for me taught me what aliveness felt like. It gave me something to aim for. Because I, when we would come out of the ocean in the middle of winter, we would be screaming like little kids, jubilant little kids. And I thought, that's what I want more of in my later years in life. And it becomes a measuring tool for me. Like, oh, This brings, you know, getting together with a group of girlfriends and having in the middle of the day in the summer on the beach and just hanging out and having great conversations. I feel alive like I do when I cold plunge, you know, meditating with my cat who's purring in my lap in the most delicious way makes me feel alive like a cold plunge. Like It it helps you to to bring more of that aliveness into your daily life, which is what we want to do when we're on the back nine. Why not? Right.
1: And, but isn't it also like you? I think you said this earlier that it is an amazing way to train your brain to fight off the instincts of the mind, of the ego, because everything in your existence is saying, get out. This is too cold. And when you break that programming again and again and again, if you're able to do it with cold plunges or cold showers, yeah. you'll be able to do it with everything oh, Everything else because everything else becomes, its you're lifting a heavier weight with that. So the other things become lighter just in relationship to what you're doing. And
2: I bet you'll hear Wim say that. I mean, he'll talk about the aliveness, but you know, it, this isn't, the cold tank sounds like a fad. And you know, for some people it is, but for me, it has taught me to not listen to the frightened mind. And that is, That permeates every other aspect of my life because I can feel it. Like if I'm about to do something, like I'm about, I have a, I have an event that I'm going to tomorrow night that I'm nervous about, but I say to myself, Oh, this is just like going into the cold tank. You know, you're nervous before you go into the ocean when it's 20 degrees out and the wind is 30 miles an hour. You're nervous too, but yeah, yeah, we've done some crazy things. (laughs) Please, you know, talk to your doctors and don't do it alone. There's (laughs) trained for a long time. But um, but doing those things really allows you to just remember, oh, if I can do that, I can do anything. I mean, I feel like I really, I don't want to jump out of a plane. I have no interest in that, but there's a whole bunch of things I can do. And if I wanted to do that, I could do that too. Um, More aliveness in, the, and, in our aging years.
1: And one other thing I wanted to ask you is about self-care, because I know that's a big thing that you talk about in your books and in the work that you do. And again, we kind of touched upon it, but so many of us have been raised with this programming that we cannot stop; that we have to keep going. Especially in the West, in the West, that's all it is. You got to keep going, keep going, keep going. In Europe, I've I found that it's they, they they they're siestas. There's they they take time off. They they have governmental time off, like six weeks, eight weeks of vacation. That's unheard of in the U.S. just unheard of. But it's starting to change a bit. But we're still a ways away. Can you tell have any advice for people who just have that problem They're like, well, I feel like I'm I'm being selfish when I take care of myself or do a a spa day if you want to do a spa day or go to a movie, you know with your boys or or whatever that thing is that is self-care for you mm-hmm. to, to get past that whole you're being lazy or you're being selfish.
2: Well, you know, we could look at it a different way. We could say, how about if you include that part of you? And love that part of you while you go ahead and do whatever it is you're going to do to take care of yourself anyway. It's a journey. Um, You know, a lot of women I've dealt with over the years talk about feeling guilty when they start to take care of themselves. They say, great, you've got to get really good at being with the part of you. The part of you that's feeling guilty is protecting you from something that was long, long ago. But if you could just put your arm around that guilt and go, oh, yeah, there's that part that gets, you know, always feels guilty. But yeah, we're going to the movies with the kids anyway, or we're going to the movies by myself. Anyway, you get better and better at it, just like getting in the cold water, right? In the beginning, it's like, oh, I can't handle it. You're out in, you know, 10 seconds. And then it's 20 seconds. And then it's 50 seconds. And it's a minute. Same thing for you with the cold showers. It's the same thing with self-care. Don't start with big things like I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to pack my bags and go away for a week spontaneously it's like no that's that's not setting yourself up for success just decide that this week i'm going to look at my calendar and take cancel one one commitment i've made that i really don't want to do just going to do that just this week and then notice how i feel oh i feel a little anxious about it what if that person's upset okay can you just be with that because remember it goes all the way back to where we started alex we're trying to manage our insides right? Feeling guilty is an inside experience. Nobody out there is doing that to you. You're doing it to yourself.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: So now we're trying to move the chairs on the Titanic on the outside so that we feel okay on the inside. When in fact, it's just, let me just be with this. I can, I can live through feeling guilty so that I get to the other side. I can deal with, I can breathe my way through anxiety because I'm gonna breathe through my nose and extend my exhale, which is gonna calm my body down. I'm gonna pick one thing to say no to, one place to change my mind, one gift of time that I'll give myself, one commitment that, you know, volunteer commitment that I just don't wanna do that I've outgrown, one new thing I wanna explore that I've never thought of before, that, you know, I've been dreaming about, but haven't done anything about, One small step at a time is what creates long-lasting change.
1: Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all my guests. What What is your definition of living a good life?
2: Living a good life. A life where you're present.
1: What is your definition of God?
2: This great creative force that connects all of us.
1: And what is the ultimate purpose of life?
2: To remember that you're a soul, not your personality.
1: And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, Cheryl?
2: Cherylrichardson.com is where pretty much everything is. And then Coach on call for um, Instagram and Twitter is my handle there. But, and Cheryl Richardson on Facebook as well.
1: And do you have any final messages for the audience?
2: Meditate, 10 minutes a day, set the alarm. It's the best <laughs> thing you can do. I'm telling you, it will change your life. We'll visit a year from now, you won't be the same person.
1: Cheryl, thank you so much for not only being on the show, but for all the work that you've done over the years helping people uh, awaken in this in this life. So I appreciate you, my dear.
2: Thank you, Alex. Great to be with you.
1: I want to thank Cheryl so much for coming on the show and sharing her knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 205.